If you have your Bibles, if you'll open them up to Matthew chapter 18, today we finish up our series called Finding Peace. And throughout the series, one of the things that we've been inviting you to do is if you have a picture that resonates peace, to submit that to us. And so the picture behind me that we've used for our sermon logo is by Barbara Jackson over here. She's over here to my left. Her and Kelly are newlyweds. Y'all been married now how long, Barbara? About 10 months, okay? And so I believe this was taken in Michigan from a uh, pier out there looking out over the lake. And certainly we've all had those moments where you're sitting on a body of water and just looking out and you feel that overwhelming sense of peace. Well, you'll recall in this series that we began with the Beatitudes where Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And we discussed that Jesus calls us to be men and women of peace, and that because we are children of God and we are His for all eternity, that that frees us to live life with peace in mind. Well, in James 4, we began to ask this question, what causes fights and quarrels among us? And we discovered that conflict begins in the heart, that when your heart is wrapped up in pride or selfishness, then it ultimately leads to conflict. Well, in week three, we looked at Galatians chapter six and that famous saying, you reap what you sow. And we discussed how decisions lead us to destination points in life. In week four, we went over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through verses uh, one of chapter 11. And we discussed seeing the opportunity in adversity how peacemakers see where others do not. Last week, we went back to Galatians chapter 6, and we talked about how do you help somebody uh, who has been caught in wrongdoing break free, and in the process, how do we ourselves break free from our past? Well, today, I want to finish out the series by talking about one of the most sensitive subjects upon which I could speak. I want to talk to you today about forgiveness. At the same time, this is one of the most practical subjects upon which I can speak, because everybody in here is in need of forgiveness. All of us do things, we say things, we are people that we sometimes should not be, and because of that, we are in need of forgiveness, and we also are in need of extending it to others. Now, the Bible speaks quite a bit about forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, the Bible says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 25, these are the words of Jesus. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you, your wrongdoing. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, Therefore God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible says if we confess our sin, or the Bible says if we have no, I'm sorry, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves 
and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness was also one of the major themes in Jesus' teaching. In Matthew chapter 18, you have a classic passage on forgiveness. He begins with talking about what to do whenever someone sins against you. And Jesus teaches us that we should go to the person and talk to them rather than about them. He teaches us to trust in authority structures to deal with various matters. And whenever we get to verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18, here comes Peter. And Peter says to the Lord, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. Now, the Apostle Peter, other than Jesus, is by far my favorite character in all the Scripture. And whenever Peter comes on the scene, there's almost always a story behind the story. He was one of those guys that was just always up to something. If you study Jewish law, you know that uh, in Jewish law, you were required to forgive somebody three times. So Peter perhaps was having some type of problem with somebody, and he's trying to be generous. And he comes to the Lord who has just finished teaching about trying to make things right uh, within the body of believers. Maybe Peter's even a little bit annoyed at what Jesus taught, but he says to Jesus, Okay, Lord, you've taught all this about forgiveness. How many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? Seven times? I'm going to more than double what the rabbis tell me I'm supposed to do. And Jesus responds, no, Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven. Now, most of us can remember enough math to know that 70 times seven is 490. And so you're like, okay, I've got to forgive somebody 490 times. That's a lot of times. Some of y'all are at about 481 right now. Uh, not that I'm keeping count or anything like that, but soon or not. No, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't saying, okay, we're going to put this big chart on the refrigerator, and we're going to count how many times we've extended forgiveness, and whenever you get to 490, you're out of here. What Jesus was talking about here is that as followers of him, we are to live with the spirit of forgiveness. Now, here's one of the things that I've discovered as a pastor, as a, as a preacher, is that forgiveness is often misunderstood. In fact, of all the different themes that we teach in church, forgiveness is one of those that's probably misunderstood the most. There's a lot of false ideas about what it is and what it is not. Colette Sandy, uh, in her book on The Young Peacemaker, identifies four false ideas about forgiveness. She says, number one, it's a false idea that you need to feel like forgiving before you can really feel, before you can forgive, I should say. Whenever somebody does me wrong, often the last thing that I feel like doing is forgiving. She says that forgiveness is more than just a feeling that forgiveness is a choice. It's something that you must 
decide to do, and sometimes it's something that the Holy Spirit has to empower you to be able to do. Secondly, she says, it's a false idea that forgiveness means forgetting. Whenever we forgive, the Holy Spirit does not give us a spiritual amnesia so that we no longer remember what has happened. Now, I think it's a good idea in a lot of situations to try to practice the principle to forgive and to forget. What has happened has happened. I've forgiven you. Uh, let's, let's move on. But now, sometimes the hurt runs very deep. Sometimes what has happened puts you, puts you or those you love in a position where you are in physical danger. Sometimes it might put you in a situation where you really could not uh, be around somebody safely. And so sometimes it's not wise to totally forget in a matter. Now stick with me on this, okay? Most of us have heard about the, the story involving the, the Duggar family. It's been all over the, the newspapers. And uh, this past Friday, Megan Kelly of Fox News sat down with Jill Duggar Dillard, and they were talking about the situation that took place in her home where her younger brother uh, had inappropriately touched her whenever they were uh, young adolescents. And so Jill was speaking on this, and she said something that struck me. She said, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. She said, Josh came to me and asked me to forgive him, and I saw that he was a changed person, and so I, I chose to forgive. But his inappropriately touching me had broken our trust, and so it took time for that trust to be rebuilt. Having boundaries in your life does not make you unchristian. Let me say that again. Having boundaries in your life does not make you unchristian. You can forgive somebody, and that does not necessarily mean that they are going to be or that they need to be your best friend. So forgiveness is a spiritual releasing. It is a release that is guided by the Holy Spirit. It takes place from deep within us, and we decide... I am not going to house the roots of bitterness in my soul towards another person. Anger, bitterness, perhaps even violation, have pulled up the U-Haul truck in front of my life. And they desire to come into my life and take up residence and allow me to be their house. But in forgiving I make a decision that I am going to evict anger and bitterness. I'm not going to let it take up residence within me. I am going to give what has happened over to God. At times, I may have to trust in authority structures that God has set up because I cannot control other people, and I am sometimes not responsible for what happens to other people, but spiritually, I am going to release the anger from within me. Now, ideally, forgiveness fully restores the relationship. And in a lot of cases, whenever you come to that point of forgiveness, the relationship can be fully restored and enjoyed just as it was before 
the event took place. There are times, though, when you can be a forgiving person, and yet at the same time, it is wise for you to have boundaries. And certainly there are some practical realities to that. Sometimes people ask me, well, what about this and what about this? And I encourage people to really trust in the Holy Spirit to guide you in what those boundaries should be and should not be. Thirdly, it's a false idea that forgiveness excuses another person's sin. When someone has done wrong and you extend to them forgiveness, that's not the same thing as saying, well, what you did was okay. A lot of times people do things that are wrong. They're, they're sinful, they're evil, they're hurtful. And just because we are able to extend forgiveness does not mean that we are saying to them, well, what you did was not really wrong in the first place. And forgiveness may not remove the consequences for what has happened. Let me give you a, a simple illustration. Somebody does something that breaks the law. Let's say they come in and steal from you. And so you've been violated. Somebody has come into your personal space and they have taken things which did not belong to them. And you feel that sense of violation. And you find out who it is because the person is caught and arrested. And and you have to kind of come face to face with the person who has violated you. And you decide, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to hold bitterness towards this person. You ask God to help you forgive them, and you extend forgiveness to them, and you move beyond what has happened, yet that doesn't absolve them of the legal consequences for their behavior. They still have to spend their time in jail or whatever punishment the society uh, begins says that they have to go through. Fourthly, it's a false idea that forgiveness requires a guarantee that somebody will not do the same thing wrong again. It's a false idea that before we can forgive, that we have to have a guarantee that they will never do this again. Back in my glory days, back when I was in my prime, when I was playing football for Keller Junior High School, we had this football drill. Some of you have seen it. You know, the coach would have you get down kind of like this, and you would kick your feet. I'm not going to do it today because I'd hurt myself, but you'd kick your feet, and he'd take the football, and he'd do this, and you'd flip over, and you'd still, do you all still do that? You know, that's old school. Take a salt pill and get a medicine ball and do it. So, you know, anyway, he'd, he'd do this, and then we'd flip over this way, and we'd flip over that way. Well, we were doing this drill. And there was this big guy. I was a running back, a punt returner, so I was kind of a speedy guy. And there was this big guy named Doak. He was a tackle. And I remember as we were doing this drill, his arm swung out and hit me right in the nose. And I was bleeding. I mean, as we were doing the whole drill, I didn't realize what was happening, but blood was flying everywhere. At the end of the drill, I get up, and my face has blood on it, my jersey has blood on it. It's awesome. I looked like a real football player for a moment in my life. And everybody was like, oh, man, Dope popped you right upside the head. And I remember Dope came to me. He apologized for what had happened. And I was like, it's all right. No big deal. It's just one of those things. But you know, he had slapped me pretty hard. And I remember the next time we did that drill, I didn't want to get anywhere close to Doke again. Right? I was like, all right, Doke, you stay there. I'm going to go a long ways over here. Whenever we get slapped hard in life, Whenever we get hurt, whenever life draws blood and it stings, it's natural for you to want to keep your distance. 
it's natural for you not to want to get hurt again. Yet at the same time, to live the human experience. To be instead of just do. To have deep, loving relationships. Meaningful relationships. Means that you have to take the risk of love. There are no guarantees in love. And at times, whenever you take that risk and you engage in loving, meaningful relationships, there are going to be times where people do things and say things that hurt you. But whenever you are able to give and receive forgiveness, then you are able to give and receive love. God did not make you an island unto yourself. He designed you in such a way that you need loving relationships. And Jesus teaches us that we are to live with a spirit of forgiveness. And until we're able to live in that spirit of forgiveness, we will never truly live in the spirit of love. Now, when Jesus began teaching this, a lot of people were skeptical. A lot of people had questions. And so in verse 23, he tells a story. He says, For this reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, this is a massive sum of money. In our modern-day equivalency, this guy owed the king millions of dollars. And so this slave was brought before him. And since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. There's no way this guy was ever going to be able to pay this this amount of money back. And so though verse 25 seems very unusual to us, in that day and time it was quite normal. You would so the, the, the person that you owe the money to could sell you and your entire family into slavery, and they could also sell all that you had. So at this, the slave fell face down before him, and he said, Be patient with me, and I, I will pay you everything. And then the master of the slave had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. Now, This is a parallel story because it illustrates the fact that I owe a debt that is too big for me to ever repay. And the debt that I owe is a spiritual debt. Uh, There's no way that I can ever be good enough to overcome my sins. But God, through his great love and God, through his great mercy, in his divine pleasure, chose through Christ to wipe out my debt. How did he do that? By sending Christ to die on the cross for my sins and for yours. And so the scriptures teach very clearly that Jesus died on the cross, and in doing so, in fact, Christ uh, calls out, paid in full, it is finished. I have died for the sins of humankind. And the scriptures teach that any man, woman, boy, or girl who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that the debt that we have towards God can be forgiven through His grace. That's the parallel of the story. 
Now here's where the story gets sharp. Because I have been forgiven as a child of God, the Heavenly Father then expects me to also live with the spirit of forgiveness. Jesus teaches this in verse 28, but the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. That was not very much money. And he grabbed him and started choking him. And he says, pay me what you owe. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. And when the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. So to create for you the modern parallel, here's a man who had just been forgiven a $12 million debt, a sum of money that as a slave he would have never have been able to repay. He leaves that moment of forgiveness, walks out, and comes across somebody who is just like him. And that person owes him $17, one pizza. And instead of being forgiven to this person who is just like him, he is harsh, violent, unforgiving, and throws him into jail. Now, Rick Warren, in response to this passage, had this thought. He said, it's very difficult to forgive when you don't feel forgiven yourself. Many Christians over the years have embraced God's Son, but they've never embraced God's forgiveness. You trust in Jesus Christ, but you don't truly understand that in trusting Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future. Many of us think, okay, when I come to Christ, he forgives me of all my sins in the past, but the future is entirely up to me. Now I've got to behave. Christ doesn't just forgive what you do. He forgives who you are. Your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Let me spin it there or talk about it this way. When Christ died on the cross for your sins, how many of them were in the past? Now, not even Paul Reed was alive 2,000 years ago. Okay. When Christ died on the cross for your sins, all your sins were yet to be committed. Christ didn't just die to forgive what you've done. Christ died to forgive who you are. And yet many Christians have embraced God's Son, but they've never embraced God's forgiveness. And so here's the practical result. You become harsh and judgmental towards others. And you become prideful about yourself. And here's the, the, the secret, the dirty little secret of pride. When we're prideful, what, what we're doing is we're trying to make others look bad by making ourselves look good. And so we know that there's things about our own life that are not where they should be, but uh, at least I'm not as bad as this guy. And so we put this guy down 
in order to make ourselves look good. But it's actually a false pride. And it's masking a low self-esteem. It's masking a person that is full of guilt and unresolved anger. The unforgiving person, or I should say the unforgiven person, tends to be unforgiving. And the inability to forgive eventually becomes a prison in which you live. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him in verse 32, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that he owed. And so my heavenly father will also do to you, each of you. So, and so my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Now, here's the moral of the story. The moral of the story is this, that because we have been forgiven by our heavenly father, we should also be forgiving to others. To truly trust in Jesus is to understand that we are totally dependent upon Jesus. To truly trust in Jesus is to understand that I am in desperate need of his forgiveness because there is nothing that I can say or do that can overcome my debt of sin. I am totally dependent upon God doing something for me that I could not do on my own. That's what grace is all about. It is the distinctive of our faith. You take grace out of Christianity and you reduce it to a world religion that looks just like every other major world religion out there. It's just based upon how good you can be. It's performance-based. Our faith is the only major world religion based upon God's greatness, acknowledging my total, complete need of Him. To truly be a Christian, you must rest in the grace of love and mercy of God and understand that the heavenly father in his own accord has chosen to extend this to you. You did not earn it. You did not deserve it. God loves you in spite of yourself. And when the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and you understand that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness and you bow before the cross and embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, you as a person are forgiven. And you belong to the Heavenly Father forever. You are His and nothing can pry you out of His hand because you belong to the Heavenly Father and that frees you to live as a forgiven person that frees you to live with a radical freedom that comes from knowing who you are in Christ and realizing that nothing can separate you from the love of God because it's founded in God, not you. You belong to the Heavenly Father. You've been forgiven. 
And so Jesus says, because you've been forgiven, you also must live with the spirit of forgiveness. Don't let anger and bitterness steal your life. Don't let anger and bitterness come into your heart and live and rob you from love and joy and peace and the experiences that God desires for you and your family and your life. Fall before the Heavenly Father. Trust in the power of His Holy Spirit and say, Lord, there are things which I cannot control, things which have been done wrong to me, but I release this anger, I release this bitterness, I place them in Your care just as I have placed myself in Your care. Help me to be a person that lives by faith and lives forgiven and understands that the greatest gift You have ever given to me is Your grace, and so may I be willing to give that to others. So I pray that in many families there will be healing. I pray that in many friendships there will be restoration. I pray that in those matters where you have to have those godly boundaries, that you will have wisdom to know what those boundaries should be and what they should not be. And I pray that you might live as a man or a woman who is forgiven. Live with forgiveness. May the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word today. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? During this time, if you feel led to pray, you can pray. If you feel led to sing, you may sing. I'm here at the front. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, it is always my joy. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, I will be here after the service throughout the day. I would love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your abundant love and for your great forgiveness. Lord, in many of our lives, we've done things for which we are very, very ashamed. We've done things that are wrong. We've done things that we could never overcome on our own. And so we trust in you. We trust in your grace and in your love. And we pray, Lord, that in the relationships that we enjoy, that we might extend forgiveness. That our lives will not merely be marked by all that we do, but may our lives be marked by the people that we are. I pray, Lord, that we might experience deep, meaningful loving friendships, that our families will have peace. I pray, Father, for stories of restoration. And I pray, Lord, for wisdom to know what to do and to know what not to do. And we trust in you, realizing that so much of life is beyond our control, but nothing is beyond your reach. In Jesus' name.